This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The Adventures of Sam Spade was a radio series based loosely on the private detective character Sam Spade, created by writer Dashiell Hammett for the Maltese Falcon. Just how popular was this radio show? Well, it ran for a total of 221 episodes on ABC, CBS, and on NBC. The series starred Howard Duff as Sam Spade and Lorene Tuttle as his secretary, Effie. Now, Lorene Tuttle deserves extra mention here. She was an American character actress and acting coach who made the transition from vaudeville to radio and later films and TV. Her most enduring impact was one of a network radio's most versatile actresses. She often appeared in 15 shows per week. Comedies, dramas, thrillers, soap operas, and crime dramas. And she became known as the First Lady of Radio. She was a perfect foil for Howard Duff's Sam Spade. The series was largely overseen by producer-director William Spear. In 1947, scriptwriters Jason James and Bob Tolman received an Edgar Award for Best Radio Drama from the Mystery Writers of America. Now, as you'll hear in the opening sequence, the writers of this show had a ball providing Sam and his secretary, Effie, with some pretty rich dialogue with several tongue twisters thrown in to boot. Tonight's episode is entitled Mad Scientist. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic, the non-alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin. Wild Root Cream Oil, again and again... The choice of men who put good grooming first. Sam Spade Detective Agency. This is Mad Scientific Detective number 137596. Sam, no matter what anyone says, I'll stand by you. You're nothing of the sort. Not scientific? Of course not. You're too pissed. Well, thanks, Effie, and that ain't all, Effie. I was actually mistaken for a convolutional melancholiac. Oh, Sam, are you all right now? Wrong diagnosis, Angel. It turned out to be melancholia catatonica. Oh, you poor darling. What is that? Well, it's a thing where you lie motionless and silent with fixed eyes and indifference to surroundings. Unquote. Sam, what happened to you? What hospital are you in? Can I bring you anything? No, Effie, I am now at large. Pull down the blinds, check the corridors for men in little white coats, and set a bottle in the window if the coast is clear. Oh. I'll be right down to dictate my report on the mad scientist caper. Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the hair. And now, with Howard Duff starring as Spade, 
Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in the adventures of Sam Spade. Come in, Sam. The coast is clear. Where are you? Why is it so dark in here? Well, I had to put the lights out. The blind's stuck. I couldn't get it down. The heat's off, Effie. Let there be light. Oh, oh, I'm so glad. Now, let me look at you. Don't look at me like that and stop whispering. Oh, Sam. Did you get me all upset like that just for a joke? It's no joke, sweetheart. You really sick? Yeah, just sick of some of the types I made in this business. Oh, that. Uh, date, uh, July 25, 1948, to Detective Lieutenant Dundee, homicide detail, San Francisco Police, from Samuel Spade, license number 137596, subject, the mad scientist caper. I worry so. Ah, dear Dundee, he, uh, looked like a mad scientist, and that's exactly what he was. His eyes had a wild gleam in them, his hair was a wild tangle, and he was wearing a wild assortment of clothing that looked as if they'd been slept in and shipped. He leaned across the desk at me and said, They have stolen my secret formula. They have? Gee, that's too bad. Oh, you think I'm crazy? I don't know yet. I just met you. My name is Raymond Fox. Did that mean anything to you? Raymond Fox, uh, yeah, I think it does, but I don't quite remember what. I invented the helioscope. Helioscope? No, that wasn't it. I also synthesized hydroxylamyl photocraniton. That? Was it? Yes, but unfortunately, production costs were prohibitive. Uh-huh, but you didn't let that discourage you. Oh, no, 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 indeed. You see, after a brief illness, I was back in my laboratory, perfecting my greatest contribution to science, what may prove to be the greatest contribution of science to humanity. I call it Penetron. Penetron? That is what they have stolen, the secret formula for Penetron. Penetron, huh? Now, uh, what exactly is Penetron, Mr. Fox, and who are they? Uh, well, Penetron is a plastic with a molecular structure which repels atomic radiation more efficiently than lead, yet weighs less than aluminium. Oh, that. Do you realize the significance of this? Well, uh... And imagine, imagine a motor no larger than a cigar box, with a power potential that even I don't believe, but they do. Who's they? Grierson Enterprises. Now, how do I know this? When I applied to the patent office to protect my discovery, I received this letter. Here, go on, read it for yourself. Uh, Commissioner of Patents, Washington, D.C. Uh, dear Mr. Fox, your application for patent on formula designated under the trade name Penetron is hereby rejected. Both formula and trade name, together with descriptive material identical to yours, have been registered by Mr. Albert Grierson, Grierson Enterprises, San Francisco. Very truly yours, George Sherman, Acting Deputy Assistant Commissioner. There, there, there. You, you see? Uh, yes. You don't need a detective, Mr. Fox. What you need is a good patent lawyer. Lawyer? I have one. A legal ball of fire named Roscoe Manning. You know this scoundrel? Yeah, he's got an okay reputation. And I am paying for it. $3,000 in retainers. And now he tells me he can do nothing. Insufficient evidence, he says. What is this outfit, Grierson Enterprises? Yeah, a snare and a delusion with, with rented furniture, unscientific ventilation, and... Dirty work at the switchboard. Mm-hmm. How did they get hold of your formula? Well, it must have been while I was ill. They came and took it away. Out of your laboratory? Oh, well, what does it matter where? I've got to start someplace. Start with the man. I promise you he's a crook. If he steals from me, he's stolen from others. If we can prove that, then I have a case. 
Well, I can't promise you anything, Mr. Fox, but I'll see what I can do. Uh, uh, will $100 be enough for your retainer? Too much. 25 now on the balance if I can do anything for you. I doubted if I could even earn the 25, but if he wanted to gamble, it was okay with me. The offices of Grierson Enterprises were pretty much as he described them. A beautiful front, especially at the switchboard. Grierson Enterprises, good afternoon. No, Mr. Grierson's out of town. No, I don't know when to expect it. I'll be right with you. That's good news. Grierson Enterprises? No, he is not. No, I do not, and he doesn't want to talk to you in any case, Mr. Manning. Oh, if it would just stop. Can't you shut it off? I might as well. Nobody seems to believe me anyway. You weren't looking for him, too, I hope. Oh, please, just tell me you're selling magazines or collecting salvage or just anything. My card. Oh, detective. Mr. Grierson hasn't done anything, has he? That's what I want to find out. My client says he swiped his secret formula. Oh, not that maniac. You don't look the type. You know he's mad, don't you? Maybe yes, maybe no. Personally, I'm crazy about money. Mad money, pin money, or dirty money. Uh, your employer didn't have to leave any line around, did he? No, but he has a charge account at a bar downstairs in the building, and it's nearly 5 o'clock. Could you cross-examine me there? I thanked her as gallantly as I could under the circumstances. She said, wait here, I won't be a minute. And while she was gone, I made a quick frisk of the office. The file cabinet was empty. Ryerson's desk contained nothing but two unsharpened pencils, tobacco crumbs, a rubber band, some rusty paper clips, an old gas bill, a glass ampule, broken, labeled sodium denadrine for intravenous injection, and a business card from one Roscoe Manning, attorney at law. I stuck the card in my pocket, went back to the switchboard, and in less time than it takes to tell, I was calling her Lois, and she was calling me Sam over cocktails for two. That's all I know about it. I didn't think anything about his taking his correspondence out of the file. He often took work home with him. Mm-hmm. When was the last time you saw him? Oh, it's been nearly six weeks. You haven't heard from him in all that time? Mm. He was with Mr. Fox just before he left. They had a terrible quarrel. But then Mr. Grayson managed to get him calmed down, and they left the office together. And that's the last time you saw Grayson? Huh? Yes, and it's all very strange. What did that maniac tell you? That Grayson swiped his invention. Do you believe that? I didn't even believe in the invention. Now I'm beginning to think it was worth stealing. Oh, Mr. Grierson wouldn't. He's a brilliant man, you know. Uh, what else has he invented? Well, I don't know. He always had a lot of projects, but of course he never took me into his confidence. Just exactly what is your job? Oh, it's quite simple, really. I just tell people he isn't in. Yeah, look, uh, sweetheart, you really mean to tell me it never occurred to you that there might be something slightly fishy about Grierson Enterprises? I know. Why should it? Because there's a smell of red herring up there. It's in the air. You mean Mr. Grayson's a crook? Well, what does that make me? Worry that out on his time. Drink up. She looked as if she were telling the truth. Though with women, especially blue-eyed women, that doesn't always mean anything. If she had anything more to tell, she obviously wasn't ready yet to tell it. I asked her to come up and listen to my Herb Jeffries record. She said my apartment needed a woman's touch. I handed her a broom. She hit me on the head with it and left. And so to bed. Up the times and phoned my client. He wasn't in. Then I phoned a guy I know who sometimes knows about things and asked him what sodium denadrine was. He said it was a sedative and or a truth serum, a mental type drug. I wondered what Grierson had been using it for during office hours. I also wondered what else he'd been spending money for. I phoned another guy who knows about other things, and he called me back with the name of Grierson's bank. 
Golden Gate crushed. An hour later, to my surprise, I actually had something to go on. Because in the past six weeks, checks totaling 50,000 bucks had been deposited at Grierson's account, all drawn on the Citrus Exchange Bank at San Anselmo, and all bearing the signature of one Carl Birdwell, M.D. He wasn't hard to find. It was a big place on the outskirts, and the sign on the gate said, Mary F. Hotchkiss Hospital for the Mentally Deranged. Dr. Birdwell's cottage was one of five without bars on the window. He was spraying his roses. Ah! Oh, that's cystectomy of Dr. Kobler's. How are those convulsions? Uh, Coordination all right? I uh, can't complain. Got the use of your fingers back? Good. Pick up those shears. I want all those ragged edges cut off the hedges. Well, why don't you uh, hire a gardener out of those uh, checks to Grierson and use up all your ready cash? Eh? Oh, I thought you were the cystectomy. Good Lord, you're that convolutional melancholiac. You're not allowed out on the grounds. God! God! Uh, now, wait a minute, Doctor. Matter. This one acting up. Take him back. I sent for the cystectomy. This is the wrong man. You're huh? crazy. Come on. Let go of me. I'm not a patient here. I'm a detective. Yeah, and I'm, I'm Sherlock Holmes. Come on now. Back to the violent war. Come on. Lay off. I got an office in San Francisco. I can prove it. One, three, seven, five, nine, six. Okay, Dr. Watson. But come on. Come on. In more time than it takes to tell, due to the guards' jujitsu, I was disrobed, straightjacketed, and rolled into a wet sheet. A full-fledged inmate of the Mary F. Hotchkiss Hospital for the Mentally Deranged, which is exactly where I belong for having taken Mr. Fox's 25 bucks. The makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the weekly Sunday adventure of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. To the Mad Scientist Caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. I have been shot, stabbed, slashed, pistol whipped, and sapped into unconsciousness. But until you have spent a night rolled up in a wet sheet, Dundee, you don't know what punishment is. You feel hot and cold at the same time, too miserable to sleep, too exhausted to stay awake. And after four hours of it, you just give up and join the crazies pushing up the daisies. There's only one thing I can say in favor of the Mary F. Hotchkiss Hospital for the Mentally Deranged. They get the patients up early. By 6.30 in the a.m., I had been rolled out of the sheet. By quarter of seven, I had thawed out enough to be taken out of the straitjacket by an orderly. I was glad to be out of it because it was very heavy, and that gave me an idea. I picked it up and swung it. In less time than it takes to tell, I was in the orderly's uniform, out of the violent wing, and shuffling up the walk through Dr. Birdwell's rose garden and through his cottage door. Good morning, Dr. Birdwell. Good, good Lord, who let you in here? What do you want? I was trying to tell you yesterday when I was so rudely interrupted. Hey? Oh, yes, the detective. Did you say Grierson sent you? I didn't say that. I'm afraid you'll have to be absolutely specific or I can't help you. All right. My client is an inventor who claims that Mr. Grierson stole a formula from him, got a patent on it, and stands to profit to the tune of about a million bucks. The last two items check. I don't know whether Grierson's a crook or not. He's into you for 50,000 bucks, so you might know. Uh, this inventor. Pale eyes, contracted pupils, big mop of hair. That's a fair description. Fox. Raymond Fox. He's a patient. 
Escaped from this hospital. That man, Mr. Spade, is a homicidal maniac. If you jog your memory, you may recall the case. Sacramento, 1935. Second. Wait a minute. Chemistry professor, lab explosion? That's the case. Two of his colleagues, whom he irrationally suspected of stealing the formula for the explosive he used to blow them up. You sure they didn't? The man was adjudged hopelessly insane. He must be returned to us. He may murder Grierson, he may murder you. But he will commit a murder if he remains at large. Perhaps more than one murder. He must help us, Spade. Like you, Doctor, I can't help unless you're absolutely specific about a couple of things. Your connection with Grierson, for instance. I invested in Grierson's firm. Uh-huh. How did Fox meet Grierson? He was allowed a certain degree of freedom here during his rational period. I had guessed that he went through my papers or overheard one of my conversations with Mr. Grierson. Mm-hmm. Do you know he retained a lawyer? Huh? Manning, smart patent lawyer. You must think Fox has a case. Oh, surely not. Grierson thinks so, too. You've talked to Grierson? No, but I've examined his bank statements. The bank allowed that? I told him I was Grierson's attorney. The point is, Grierson is broke. Why? Because he's paid out every penny you gave him to the order of Roscoe Manning, attorney at law. And you know what I think, Doctor? Yes? I think Raymond Fox is crazy like a fox. And I had the same idea about Dr. Birdwell, but I didn't say so. I didn't feel up to spending another night in a wet sheet. I also didn't feel up to the interview that was awaiting me outside the gates. A limousine, only a little longer than a hearse, was standing at the curb... A round pink head with a gray Homburg on it bobbed out at me from the driver's seat and said... Mr. Spade? Yeah? Roscoe Manning, how'd you do? About 49975 bucks less than you've done in the caper so far. <laughs> the law is a lucrative profession, my boy. <laughs> Get in, I'll drive you back to town. No charge? Yeah, uh, I'll even give you some free advice, sans retainer. <laughs> well, sir, <laughs> you were an elusive chap. I've had the devil's own time catching up with you. How did you? I won't ask why. And I am not without resources. Now, uh, as to our mutual client, Mr. Fox, uh, obviously you've learned a good deal about him. Dr. Birdwell says he's cuckoo, and it's only a toss-up which one of us he's going to blow up first. And just about what you'd expect from a medical man. If you'd listened to as much conflicting medical testimony in court as I have, you'd take them all with a grain of salt. Or should I say, soda mint. Or uh, sodium denadrine? That's a mysterious remark. I was just trying it on for size. It didn't fit. Mm -hmm. Well, sir, here is my proposition. As to Fox's sanity, it's of no importance. He has money, and I think he has a case. We can always get a doctor to say he's back in his right mind. Where do I fit into your scheme? You just keep looking for Grierson. And uh, watch that secretary of his. I don't trust her. Anything else? Oh, I, I almost forgot. Here's $500, and here's your ticket to Chicago. I don't know why, but somehow I got the impression that Mr. Manning was trying to get rid of me. He should have used that ticket to Chicago himself. We stopped at Sausalito for breakfast, and the condemned man ate a hearty meal. We drove the last mile through the marina district and pulled up in front of his house. Well, sir, have a nice trip. Well, uh, take the car, Mr. Spade. I'll pick it up at the depot. Uh, goodbye. It's been charming. Goodbye. He backed across the sidewalk, waving, and I waved back. Then he went up three steps, put a key in his door, and opened it. It didn't do much damage to the house. 
But all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Roscoe Manning back together again. I got out of the car and just made it up the steps when it happened again. I hated the look, but I did. For the limousine had been parked with me in it with a smoking heap of scrap metal. I then headed for the nearest phone booth and pausing only to inspect it for mines and booby traps, dialed the number of Grierson Enterprises. Grierson Enterprises? Lois, Sam Spade. Sam, darling, thank you for the present. What present? I haven't had a chance to open it yet, but I think I can guess what it is. A traveling clock. You mean a package arrived and it ticks? Oh, darling, don't be such a tease. Now, Lois, listen. Oh. Throw it out the window. No, don't do that. Pedestrians, innocent bystanders. Uh, have you got a metal wastebasket there? I think so, yes. Well, fill it up with water and throw the package into it. And ruin my lovely clock? It is not a lovely clock. It's a lovely booby trap. Oh, go on. I'm You're... serious. Manning just got one of them, and what's left of him is on the way to the morgue. Oh, I think I'm going to see. Lois! Lois! Wake up! Pour some water on yourself! Hello, hello! <laughs> Let me through here. Come on, let me through. Lois. Lois. Oh, you're okay. Glad of that. All right, she's all right now, you people. Come on, get out of here. She's all right. Come on, get up. You're not hurt. What happened? It exploded in the water. At least you had sense enough to do what I told you to. Oh, this is a new dress. Now look at it. It looks fine here. Put this coat around you. I don't think that was a very funny joke, Sam. Neither do I. Now, uh, try and forget your clothes for a minute. And try and answer a few questions for me. There isn't much time. Sam, what is it? I want you to be very sure of this, Lois. Try and remember accurately. How many people has Grafson seen since he opened this office? Well, not very many. It was hardly ever in. That's strange. Now that I think of it, I can only remember two. Mr. Yeah. Manning and that mad scientist man, Mr. Fox. Yeah? Did you hear any of the conversation between Grierson and Fox? Uh, he just screamed at Mr. Grierson about how his invention had been stolen from him. Then it sounded as if they scuffled, and all of a sudden, Mr. Fox calmed down. Mm -hmm. When he came out, his eyes looked funny, as if he'd been hypnotized. Yeah. Uh, what does uh, Grierson look like? Oh, he must have been quite handsome at one time. He's sort of like Gregory Peck with a mustache, only fatter and balder and older. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have put it exactly like that, but I can see what you mean. But you've never seen him. Don't make book on it, but I think I have. I made three phone calls. One to a crime reporter I don't like very well, giving him a false story on the death of Lois, Grierson's secretary. Another to my client, the mad scientist, alias Raymond Fox, and one to Dr. Birdwell. Then I went to my apartment and waited. My client arrived five minutes before the doctor. When Birdwell came in, my client said, Ah, that's he. He stole my secret formula. Oh, now, Raymond, you're getting confused again. Oh. I'm the doctor, don't you remember? Th th that's not true. Your name is Grierson. Oh. He's much worse. He's identification. You must try to remember, Raymond. Nobody's going to hurt you. But you'll be much sicker if you don't remember. But I do remember. I remember everything. Do you remember setting the bombs at Manning's house and the one you sent to Mr. Grierson's office? No, 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 no. Grierson isn't dead. You're Grierson. No, Grierson isn't dead. Only that poor girl. No, no, no. She didn't steal my formula. It, it was you. Oh, you're trying to mix me up. I'm trying to help you. Now, roll up your sleeve. I'll give you something to quiet no. your nerves, and we'll go back to the hospital. Put it away, Doctor. You've helped them enough. Huh? Now, look here. This man is my patient. He needs medical attention. I won't argue with you, but I think he'd better get it from some other doctor. Right now, he's making more sense than you are. Ah, 
Just keep on the way you're going, Spade, and I'll have you back in that wet sheet. I did it once, and I can do it again. Sit down. You got delusions of grandeur. Stop shaking, Raymond. I said you're making more sense than he is, and I can prove it. You think you're very astute, don't you? No, I'm stupid, but I'm lucky. I should have tumbled to the whole caper when I found that you'd invested 50,000 smackers in Grierson Enterprises. When I found out that Raymond was an escaped patient, I should have tumbled to what that Denadrine vial was doing in Grierson's desk. I should have known then that you and Grierson were one and the same person. <laughs> I, I, I told when you. When I discovered that you'd paid Manning all that shakedown money, I should have known you were planning to knock him off and everybody else who could identify you. But it didn't work out that way. I got out of the car before it blew up. Dumb luck. And you can identify me as Grierson? I don't have to. <laughs> oh, God. Surely you're not counting on Raymond's sanity to that extent. He can't even remember that I was his doctor. Can you, Raymond? You're trying to mix me up. You stole my formula. I didn't kill them, did I, Mr. Spade? Now, lie down on the couch and relax, Raymond. Don't worry about a thing. Well, doctor, what now? You relax, too. Okay, Lois, come on in. What? Lois! Why, Mr. Grayson, have you been sick? How dare you? How dare you ruin all my plans like this? You stupid... Oh, oh, oh. Okay, that's enough. Come on, get back there. Get back. Sorry, sweetheart. I didn't mean to let him get that close to you. What were you trying to do? It was an experiment. Just to see what would happen. It did. So that's the way your scientific dictators work. For a hard-boiled chap, you have the vaguest way of doing things I ever heard of. Well, uh... Plans are all right sometimes, Doctor, and sometimes just stirring things up is all right if you're tough enough to survive and keep your eyes open so you see what you want when it comes to the top or something. Uh, Spade, Dundee, I'm at home. I've uh, got two homicidal characters here, one sane and one insane. Now, if you can tell the difference, I'll let you give the story to the papers. <laughs> That, Lieutenant D, is the crop. You, uh, picked the wrong one. Take it. It's as simple as this. Raymond Fox was the loony, but Birdwell, alias Grierson, conceived and executed the whole scheme, including the explosions. Don't worry about Fox. He's now back at the hospital working on a new secret formula. I don't know what it is, but it might be an anti-truth serum serum, because that's how Birdwell got the Penetron formula, by using truth serum on the mad scientist to make him talk. Any way you figure it, he's crazy like a fox. His enemies are all dead or on their way, and he's as snug as a rug in a bug house. Period. End of Looney Tune. Well, of all... Well, just imagine. Well, it takes all sorts to make a world, I guess. Well, I guess you never spoke a truer word, Effie, but don't forget, a stitch in time saves nine. Don't feel too badly about it, Sam. Better late than never. You took the words right out of the horse's mouth, but it's later than you think, Angel. Type that up, Angel, and while you're at it, see if you can think up a way to teach an old dog new tricks. Well, here it is, Sam. And I'm just thinking over what you said. Which? About teaching an old dog new tricks. Mm -hmm. You're only as old as you feel, Sam. Then send in the application for my old age pension. Oh, Sam, I won't let you talk that way now. You're just tired and nervous and run down. Yeah, backaches, stay up nights, sour racket. You're just feeling sorry for that, Mr. Fox. I wouldn't worry about him. As you pointed out, he's safer where he is for all concerned. Mm. And after all, necessity is the mother of invention. What's that got to do with anything? Well, he's an inventor, isn't he? Oh, that. You see? All's well that ends well. Good night, Sam. Good night, Pollyanna. Pollyanna? Oh, she's a glad girl. Oh, no, Sam, that's Shakespeare, that old... You know best. All ashore that's going ashore. Good night, sweetheart. Good night, sweetheart. 
Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. The Adventures of Sam Spade are written for radio by Bob Tallman and Gil Dowd, with musical direction by Lud Gluskin. Gil Dowd directed tonight's broadcast in William Spear's absence. Join us again next Sunday for another adventure with Sam Spade. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil, again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. Stay tuned for The Jack Benny Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The Jack Benny Show. Tonight's show will continue the running gag that the writers used, Mary reading one of her poems to a less-than-sympathetic Jack Benny. The Jell-O program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. The orchestra opens the program with It's a Whole New Thing. gentlemen, this is the age of research. So we've been doing a little research on the subject of Jell-O. Well, we found out that the best days of the week to serve Jell-O are Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, which is just another way of saying that Jell-O is always, anytime and every time, a perfectly swell dessert. For Jell-O brings you that full extra rich flavor, a flavor as fresh and sunny as the real ripe fruit itself. And all six of Jell-O's famous flavors have the same rich goodness. Strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. A grand, satisfying flavor that has made Jell-O America's favorite gelatin dessert. And you like Jell-O's gay, appetizing appearance, too. It's shimmering, jewel-like colors that make it look so inviting. So enjoy some tomorrow. Just be sure to get genuine Jell-O and don't accept any substitute. Look for those big red letters on the box. They spell Jell-O. Yet. What are you laughing at? <laughs> Is it the one about the nearsighted old maid that buried the midget? 
No, heavens, no, God. Heavens, not that one. Uh, this is a brand new story. Get this. There was a fellow walking down the street, and he was leading a pink alligator on a leash. When all of a sudden, it started to act up and snap at him. Uh-huh. So the guy got annoyed, turned around to this pink alligator, and said, You better behave yourself, or I'll take a bromo seltzer, and that'll be the end of you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, isn't that terrific, Don? Oh, it's curious. That Virgil has a great sense of humor. Yes, yeah, that was a funny story, Mr. Benny. Oh, Dennis, I didn't see it. Did you like it? Yeah. But there's one thing that puzzles me. What? If the man was walking down the street, where did he get the bromo seltzer? Well, I don't know. He probably had a box of it in his pocket. Oh. Then I guess he had a glass of water in his other pocket. Yes, Dennis, and a banjo on his knee. <laughs> now, don't worry about it. Say, you're here kind of early tonight, uh, Dennis. Where's your mother? She's across the street in the bowling alley. In the bowling alley? Well, with her legs, you better watch out. <laughs> anyway, Dennis, I'm glad you're here on time tonight. Now, try and make a habit of it. <laughs> You know, Jack, I can't get over that story you told me. It's silly, but I get a great kick out of it. Isn't it ridiculous? Yeah. <laughs> oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. What's so funny? Mary, I must tell you. Did you hear the story about the fellow that was walking down the street eating a pink alligator on a leaf? Is that the one where the man said, I'll take a bro myself and that'll be the end of you? Yes. No, tell it to me. Well, <laughs> this guy was... Wait, you just told me the answer. I thought you said you never heard it. Oh, stop, Jack. That's one of the oldest jokes in the world. Mary, jokes happen to be my business. And if that was the oldest joke in the world, I'd be the first one to know it. Should I let him have it, folks? <laughs> never mind. Do me a favor, will you, Mary? Go out and come back in again. Well, gee, Jack, as long as you're telling jokes, why don't you tell a good one? I heard a gag last night that was terrific. Oh, you did, eh? Yeah. A man walked into the house and said to his wife, it's raining cats and dogs outside. Uh-huh. And she said, how do you know? Mm-hmm. And he said, I, I just stepped, stepped in, in a poodle. poodle. <laughs> I know where you heard that, Mary, at the Wilshire Bowl. Bill Harris has been husking that for three years. <laughs> That's his theme, Joe. You know, Don, Phil's idea of humor is really pitiful. Oh, I don't know about that, Jack. I was at the ball one night, and the people screamed at him. Sure they scream at him. Every time he finishes a gag, he has a waiter throw a custard pie in his face. <laughs> That's why. I didn't see anybody do that. Oh, well, you must have been their bucket of water night. <laughs> That's his idea of changing material. Well, I'll say one thing about Phil. He sure attracts the young collegiate crowd. All the college boys go there. They have to go there, Mary. That's part of their initiation. <laughs> Before they can join a fraternity, they have to either listen to Harris or sleep all night in a graveyard. In a graveyard? Yes, and you'll be surprised at the number of kids around here that aren't afraid of ghosts. <laughs> yes, sir. You know, Jack, Phil sure believes in that college spirit. Look at that sign on the bass drum. Oh, yeah. Phil Harris and his collegians. Look, he spells collegians with one L. Well, he spells Phil with two, so it's all even. You know, Mary, sometimes I think that Phil... Jiggers, here he comes now. Oh, Jiggers. Now, hello, Phil. Hiya, Jackson. What's going on? Well, to tell the truth, Phil, for the last five minutes, we've been talking about you. Well, a little build-up ain't never hurt nobody. No, Phil, I've never done you no good, either. <laughs> Your grammar is worse than Abe Lyman's, and he never got beyond block. <laughs> Well, who cares about grammar? I got other things to worry about. Oh, I can imagine. Say, Phil, uh, I noticed that new sign you got on the bass drum. What happened to that corny painting you used to have there? 
Horny? Yeah, you know, the one with the yellow moon and the green river and the purple trees. Remember that one, Mary? Yeah, he used to call it Gypsy Doodle by Rembrandt. That's the one. Whatever happened to that painting, Phil? I sold it to the Metropolitan Museum in New York. You mean the Museum of Fine Art? I don't know what they got there, but that's the joint that bought it. <laughs> Phil, are you crazy? Crazy nothing. Someday that picture will be hanging in Paris, right next to the Mona Lulu. <laughs> I'm not going to even bother to correct that. <laughs> How do you like that, Mary? The most famous painting of a woman in the world, and Phil doesn't even know her name. If she were alive, he'd know her name and phone number. <laughs> and her address and what she's doing on Friday night. <laughs> well, I got myself on a detour for no reason at all. And besides... Hey, Jack, why don't you tell Phil that story the sound man told you? He'll get a kick out of it. Oh, he wouldn't even get it. Come on, Jackson, what is it? Let's hear it. All right, Phil. Do you know the one about the fellow who was walking down the street and his pink alligator snapped at him? No, it. I'm the guy that drank the bromo. <laughs> there you are, fellas. He's always got a brilliant comeback, even if he has to make a bum out of him. <laughs> oh, Dennis. Yes, please? Uh, how about a... How about a song before we get involved again? Okay, Mr. Benny. I'm going to sing an old favorite by Stephen Foster called Jeannie with the Light Brown Hair. Oh, that's... Well, Dennis, I, I love those old songs. Old songs, old gags, what this program needs is glands. <laughs> Mary, you just attend to your own little knitting. I'll handle the show. Sing, Dennis, the guy that drank the rope. <laughs>
Migratated? You don't by any chance mean you migrated. All right, we move. Forget it. Migratated. You hear that, Mary? Yeah, he put in an extra syllable in it. You're not paluling. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, before we get out of the mood, let me say a few words about Jalello. Jalello? <laughs> it is economical, easy to make, and comes in six delicious flavors. So look for the big red letters on the barrage. Thanks, Don. You surveyed the day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as we have no Thanksgiving play... Mary Livingston's going to read a Thanksgiving poem. Oh, no. Nothing to it. Oh, gee, it's swell, Jack. I don't care. You're not going to read it. Jack, Benny, you let me read this poem or I won't buy my Christmas card from you this year. A lot I make on the ones you get. You don't even have your name printed on them. Now go ahead with your poem. Okay. What's the title of it? The title is Thanksgiving. You're a little mixed up, aren't you, kid? <laughs> well, that fits. Go ahead. <clears throat> <clears throat> oh, Thanksgiving. Oh, Thanksgiving. You are with us twice this year. With your pumpkin pie and dressing, and your turkey, front and rear. That's the part I always get. <laughs> the pilgrims planned in days of yore that you'd come once, not anymore. But now you are a double feature, and we don't know which day to greet you. Greet you? That's what I said, you gorgeous creature. Now, don't be funny. Go ahead with the phone. Suppose we had two everything. Two New Year's Eve, two laugh and sing. Two Christmases, two Labor Days. And two Jack Bennies with two toupees. <laughs> Mary, you're too, too pressy. Are you through? No, but I'm coming into the stretch. Oh. So Thanksgiving, I don't mind. If you're a week before or a week behind. Mm. <laughs> What's the difference? What's the heck? The turkey's the guy that gets it in the neck. The end. Very good. Mary, that was silly, but you came through with flying colors. And now, Phil, how about a number to kind of break things up here? Okay, Jackson, what do you want us to play? Anything special? Well? You name it, we'll play it. All right, how about that n number you rehearsed all morning? You know, the only one you can possibly play. Oh, okay. Hit it, boys. He asked for requests yet. Hold it a minute, Phil. Come in. Mr. Benny? Yes? Are you a little mixed up on account of the two Thanksgivings this year? Yes, I am. Why? I was in a fog when we only had one. Goodbye. <laughs> He's not kidding, folks. He's got his shoes on backwards. Play, Phil.
was Cherry Berry Bean, a swing version of an old favorite played by Phil Harris and his orchestra. And now, fellas... Hey, before... what's the matter? Aren't you going to complain about the number we just played? No, Phil, I thought it was pretty good. I liked it, didn't you, Mary? Yeah, it was well. Did you like it, Don? I thought it was okay. How'd you like it, Jack? Oh, it was great. How'd you like Phil's number, Mary? Well, I thought it was a little loud in spots, didn't you, Don? Yes, it seemed a little off here and there. What did you think of it, Jack? I thought it was lousy. <laughs> And now, fellas... Hey, what is this, a rib? Yes, Bill, we were just kidding. I thought your number sounded exceptionally good. Didn't you, Mary? Feel me out. I'm tired. <laughs> now, fellas, as I started to say a little while ago, and before I forget it, uh, Thursday being Thanksgiving, I want all of you to come over to my house for a real old-fashioned turkey dinner. How about it? Oh, uh, that's great, Jack. Yeah. Yeah. And Dennis, uh, Dennis, this invitation goes for you also. His mother, too? Yes, Mrs. A. My party wouldn't be complete without you. You don't sound very sincere about it. Well, what do you want me to do? Send you a mash note? <laughs> Glad to have you. The more, the merrier. Good heavens. Say, Jack, is this party going to be like the one you gave last Thanksgiving? What do you mean? I mean, is the turkey going to be leg of lamb? Don't worry about that, Mary. This is going to be a real dinner. I've got the biggest, fattest, juiciest turkey you ever saw. Where'd you run over it? <laughs> I didn't run over it. It's a live turkey. I got it in my garage right now. It's roosting on my Maxwell. That's, that's all that car needs. <laughs> well, you wait till you see that, bird. I better weigh 65 pounds. 65 pounds? Why, Jack, you must be mistaken about that. Oh, no, I'm not, Don. I had it on the scale. It's an enormous thing. 65 pounds? Are you kidding? I'm not kidding. Wait till next Thursday. You'll see for yourself. It's going to be a swell party. How many people are you expecting, Jack? Well, there'll be our gang, and then I invited Clark Gable and Carol Lombard, Bob Taylor and Barbara Stanwyck, Tyrone Power and Annabella. Oh, Jack, you always ask them to every party you give, and they never show up. Well? Why don't you stop inviting them? I can't stop now. They'll think I'm mad at them. <laughs> you know how it is. How can they be mad at you when they don't even know them? I don't even know them? Listen, Phil, I know every one of those stars personally. Sure, Jack tells them their Christmas cards. <laughs> Mary, will you stop harping on that? The only reason you ever got cards from me is because I happen to have some left over. Every year. Oh, quiet. <laughs> now, don't forget, fellas, Thursday night at my house. Oh, we Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy, we're going to have a big turkey and cranberry sauce and mashed potatoes. And Don, guess what kind of jello we're going to have for dessert? Strawberry? No. Raspberry? No. Cherry? No. Orange? No. Lemon? No. Give up? Yes. Lie. <laughs> You see, Don, you almost had it. There's a kindergarten commercial if I ever heard one. <laughs> Never mind, that's what we're going to have. Now look, kids, if I don't see you again before Thanksgiving, be sure and be at my house by 7 o'clock sharp. And don't eat a big lunch so you'll uh, really enjoy the turkey. I'll take it. Hello? Hello, Mr. Penny, this is Roger. All right, what do you want? Well, boss, I just heard you talking about a big Thanksgiving party Thursday night. That's my night off. I'm sorry, Rochester, but you'll have to work. You can take a day off some other time. I can get my twin brother to take my place. I don't want your twin brother. Well, he looks just like me. I don't care if he did. I want you to be at my house on Thursday night. How about me and Spirit my brother in person? <laughs> Rochester, don't try any tricks. I can tell the difference between you and your twin brother. That's more than a gal can. <laughs> Well, 
Never mind. Now, look, Rochester, I want you to get that turkey up to 70 pounds by Thanksgiving to go out in the garage and feed it. I'm working on a Christmas card. They can wait. <laughs> now, go out in the garage and feed the turkey. Okay. Oh, say, boss, I meant to ask you something about that bird. Are you sure it's a turkey? <laughs> what do you mean, am I sure it's a turkey? Well, I went out in the garage a few minutes ago and she laid an egg as big as a cantaloupe. As big as a cantaloupe? What are you talking about? Not only that, but every time I go in there, she sticks her head in a bucket of sand. <laughs> what? Boss, you bought an ostrich. I bought an ostrich? That's right. You just ate the headlights off your car. The headlights? How do you know? She had two Adam's apples and they were going down fast. <laughs> it's all your fault, Rochester. You were with me when I went shopping for a turkey. Why did you let me buy an ostrich? I told you it was a pretty big bird for the money, but you know you. <laughs> well, I guess there's nothing we can do about it now. Isn't that awful? I got a polar bear in the guest room and an ostrich in the garage. And mice in the pantry. Let's move out. <laughs> now, don't get panicky, Rochester. I'll be home in a few minutes. Meanwhile, call up the market and order a turkey. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, say, boss. What? Have you changed your mind about using my twin brother Thursday night? No, I haven't. Well, I'll, I'll figure out something. Goodbye. Wait a minute. Rochester! Rochester! What's the matter, Jack? Plenty. That big turkey I bought turned out to be an ostrich. Oh, boy. You're going to be lonesome on Thanksgiving. I am not. Now, Mary, don't worry. We're going to have a swell dinner. Play, Phil. I wonder if you can eat an ostrich. I don't Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week when I return with more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joe Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. 
I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.